When you think of drylands, what first comes to mind? What about a field of zebras galloping across the savannas of Africa? Or perhaps a rattlesnake slithering past cacti in the deserts of Arizona? Maybe you think of a herd of cattle munching their way through the Great Plains of the United States. Dryland ecosystems make up around 40% of the land in the United States, including the vast desert of the Southwest and the Great Plains. Similarly, drylands comprise 40% of the entire Earth's land surface. With this in mind, a better understanding of such a vast area of the globe proves necessary. Indiana University professor Natasha McBean shares a similar sentiment. She was recently awarded a grant from the NASA Research Opportunities in Space and Earth Sciences Carbon Cycle Program to do just that, to understand more about drylands and specifically their role in the carbon cycle and how climate change could affect the ecosystem. Last week, Professor McBean spoke with WFHB News about her work. My research into drylands is primarily to understand the kind of ecosystem scale processes, so that's the interactions between vegetation and water and carbon cycling. Um, and how all of that is responding to climate change and also to land management change as well. Um, and mostly that's um, driven or motivated by a, a wider research sort of theme of mine, which is to understand global carbon cycling. Um, so we are obviously emitting carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, um, and the land and the ocean uh, are taking up, they're absorbing about 50% of those emissions. And so we know that at kind of global scale number, but what we don't know is really which ecosystems, which regions and which processes are driving that, sort of what we call a sink of carbon. And we also don't know if we're going to sort of maintain that 50% reduction on our emissions into the future or not. So we need to understand that better, and it has been highlighted in the past sort of decade or so that semi-arid ecosystems, even and dryland ecosystems more broadly, um, are playing a big role in in the sort of interannual, sort of year-to-year variability in global carbon cycling. Um, and so we we want to understand that a bit better. And there are lots of people working in the field in dryland ecosystems, understanding processes. And that's been that work has been going on for a while. But where my research comes in is really scaling that up to broader scales, sort of regional to continental scales, and then up to the globe as well. Um, and the sort of second component of that is making sure that our process understanding of the carbon water um, vegetation dynamics is implemented into the the kinds of global earth system models that we're using for uh, climate change projections for the IPCC, for example. With this broad overview of Professor McBean's work in mind, the experts shared more about drylands themselves and some of their characteristics. Drylands are um, inherently water-limited, and, and all uh, most of their ecosystem processes um, uh, are driven by moisture availability. And so that means that there's sort of less rainfall on average, and there is a kind of potential for evaporation, evapotranspiration. And so there are lots of different strategies in these ecosystems, a lot of different vegetation types um, and strategies for dealing with that kind of 
at least seasonal water stress and, and year-to-year changes in water availability. Dry lands, um, you know, they cover about 40% of our land surface. Some of that is, is you know, obviously the desert. So that takes up about, um, I guess, 7%. So I think, you know, one-third of the land surface is, is kind of the semi-arid, um, subhumid dryland ecosystems that have quite a bit of vegetation. They're kind of savannas or grasslands, etc. And they have a lot of sort of ecosystem services, we should say, and they support about just over a third of the world's population. Um, so they have tons of ecosystem services for those, that population, such as often these regions are used for grazing, for uh, livestock production, um, there's obviously uh, water uh, availability issues in, uh, in those ecosystems and the populations that need water. Um, we actually in the U.S., I, I can't remember now the number, but we grow a lot of our crops in the U.S. Um, in the southwest and west uh, where it's actually water limited, which I don't think always makes that much sense, um, especially some of the crops that need a lot of water and, and therefore are irrigated a lot. So uh, these are the kinds of ecosystem services that are, uh, come from these ecosystems. They're also really diverse, and they've got a lot of different um, flora and fauna that are also, you know, often beneficial for various, you know, for food, for culture, and medicines, et cetera. So lots of different purposes and supporting a lot of the, of the world's population. Dryland ecosystems are extremely complex and important for many key species that depend on them, as well as humans who depend on them for their livelihood and survival. A key part of MacBean's research is to understand how climate change and other human effects could impact drylands. Climate change, I'd say, is sort of is one of the big pressures. Um, other pressures are kind of just population increase and land management. You know, like I just mentioned, are we really managing the land well in these ecosystems? So often overgrazing them and overcultivating them, and maybe not growing the right crops, etc. That's that's one thing, and climate change interacts with that. Um, the the biggest things that climate change is going to do in these ecosystems is change the water availability, and so that's a couple of things. One is um, changing rainfall variability. So it, it sometimes means more intense storms. Um, for example, the southwest U.S. is driven by the North American monsoon, which provides the water availability. And that's not necessarily going to go away, but the, the characteristics of it might change. You know, if there are more intense storms, then that's not necessarily a good thing. We might lose a lot of that water as, as runoff. Um, if it's just sort of too intense for ecosystems to manage. But there's also with climate change, a lot of drought. Most of the West and Southwest of the U.S., for example, has been in a mega drought for most of this century. Um, and that, we think, can be exacerbated with climate change. So these ecosystems really rely on water availability. They're adapted to the kind of seasonal changes in water availability. And as that change and changes and potentially gets more you know, extreme droughts in the future with climate change, the, the plants... And, and all the ecosystem processes are going to have to adapt to that. Um, and, and the second thing I'd say with climate change that I think we're seeing a lot now is um, potentially increased risk of wildfire. There is an interplay there with land management um, and building and, and sort of urban expansion. And 
how we've managed fires in the past. But um, we think that, you know, one of the reasons why wildfires might be increasing is increasing temperatures. And, and again, dry land ecosystems are well adapted to deal with fire over, you know, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. But um, as these changes are sort of accelerating, the, the vegetation will have to adapt to that as well. Dryland ecosystems and how they relate to the global carbon cycle and global climate is a topic that requires more understanding. As mentioned before, Professor McBean was recently awarded a $900,000 grant from NASA to provide funding for more research into drylands. McBean described how this grant came about and what her team's research will do to improve the mapping of drylands and better understand the potential environmental effects on the ecosystem. So NASA has a bunch of different calls on different topics, and they have a carbon cycle science program that's specifically about understanding the carbon cycle of of terrestrial ecosystems. Um, It can be any type of ecosystem. Um, And so, you know, I've been already doing research in dryland carbon cycling and through my work when I was at the University of Arizona, my collaborators there. So I got together with a with a few different collaborators who are working in the southwest um, and working on on drylands um, to, to put in a grant that was aimed at really improving our understanding of carbon cycling in drylands and and what we're trying to do is is a mixture of different things. So we're trying to improve our mapping of different um, plant types, vegetation types, and soil cover in these regions because they're often very um, spatially heterogeneous. If you think of savannas, you know, you've got shrubs dotted everywhere and it's very difficult to map those types of ecosystems. And then once we hopefully can do that a little bit better, we're going to take a lot of other measurements from the field, remote sensing measurements, and link uh, that kind of cover type, the plant cover type, to the functioning and their responses to uh, changing rainfall, etc. And then the third part is to implement that into models. So it's really a kind of bringing together people working on different things, modeling, remote sensing, field measurements, and working across scales, you know, scaling up from understanding ecosystem processes at the field scale to modeling at the regional to global scale um, with remote sensing and satellite data, you know, in between there. So, yeah, that's how it came about, just to... A meeting of collaborators who wanted to continue working on that. With an uncertain future, McBean's research offers a chance for scientists to understand and perhaps predict the future of drylands through the use of modeling. McBean provided insight as to how this project will help in this endeavor. What we really want to do, and that's you know one of the goals of this project, is to make sure that we have the sort of right process understanding in the kinds of models that we use to make predictions like that, and then you know hopefully. By the end of this project, we we won't have um, developed everything that we need in the models um, to to look at those kinds of questions. But I think we'll be able to say, you know, run kind of future simulations under climate change scenarios and see whether we are seeing, for example, like an expansion of of dryland vegetation. That's a real uh, overall goal. But I'd say we want to really test and develop the models a little bit better first before we say that more definitively. With hard work and dedication, Professor Natasha McBean's work is being recognized for its immense importance and is now funded by NASA. With research just beginning, there are limitless amounts of information to still be learned about our world's drylands. For WFHB, I'm Nathaniel Weinsaffel.